0: I arrived in Dallas a day before my conference began. The next morning, I woke up early and headed to the pool. Yes, there was warm sunshine and incredibly lavish accommodations, but I was there to meet friends for the first of many mastermind sessions. In between attending breakout sessions and plenaries and hosting receptions and dinners, I managed to squeeze in several amazing mastermind sessions. It was during these mastermind sessions that I was able to process all of the information I'd received at the conference and the many epiphanies I had had. Like deciding to scrap the planned topic of my next book and instead write a book that would be directly beneficial to my ideal client, an entrepreneurial woman in her 50s. Like realizing my association clients are not on my email list, so my website needs to include the camp story I share in my welcome email. So they know why creating welcoming and inclusive spaces is so important to me. One year ago, I attended the same conference with the intention of creating a peer mastermind and I wanted to begin offering this to my clients as well. I was ready to up-level my business and knew I needed more than an accountability partner. I needed a mastermind group. What exactly are mastermind groups? According to Liz Scully, who was featured in Dory Clark's Entrepreneurial U because of her expertise in running masterminds, Mastermind groups are powerful small coaching groups meeting regularly. They hold everyone accountable so they achieve more. Simple in concept, powerful in results, she said. It's been nearly a year since my peer mastermind started meeting and just under a year since I launched the More program for entrepreneurial women, which includes a mix of mastermind sessions, master classes and one-on-one coaching. With that personal experience, I am now an even bigger believer in the power of mastermind groups. Your challenge this week. Are you at a critical point in your career or business? Not yet in a mastermind? Consider the benefits of joining a professionally facilitated mastermind like the MORE program for entrepreneurial women. Having a professional facilitator means there will be a structured format each time you meet. And you can relax knowing someone else is managing the time and the flow of the conversation. A professionally facilitated mastermind group is also highly curated. So you know you're being matched with members who are going through similar pain points in their business journey and will both give and accept support from the group. Yes, it's an investment to join a professionally facilitated mastermind group, 2,000 to 5,000 or more, depending on how long the mastermind group runs and who the ideal clients are for the group. But... The results speak for themselves. Not ready to make that investment? Identify three peers who are in a similar place in their career or business and start meeting at least once a month, virtually or in person. Are you wondering if masterminds are right for you? I am happy to chat. Now onto this week's show. Today's guest helps her clients make wise decisions, prioritize leadership actions, and prepare for higher level responsibilities through customized executive education and coaching. She shows senior corporate, military, government, and nonprofit leaders how to create cultures that grow leaders, build organizations, and deliver dynamic organizational results. As a clinical psychologist and former active duty Army officer, she brings her unique experiences and perspectives to the leadership conversation. She shares her insights in her book, Lead Yourself First, the Senior Leader's Guide to Engaging Your People for Greater Performance and Impact. As she says, you are the instrument of your leadership, so tune up and play the music only you can play. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks.
1: Hi, Robbie. Good to meet
0: you. Uh, Dr. Wilson-Starks, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm glad you're able to join us. Uh, you and I got a chance to meet each other at the Million Dollar Consulting Convention. Uh, is that right? Million Dollar Consultants Convention. Um, uh, it was a great event. Um, Alan Weiss always does amazing events, and I was really privileged to be there. And um, I know that you had an opportunity to speak there, and I'm, I'm thrilled to bring you here to share some of your wisdom with my audience. Now, this is a show about leadership and building great networks. So I want to kick off by asking you, um, how would you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: You know, just if I speak very basically, Robbie, leadership is really influence, and it's about influencing people to move or to act, and hopefully in a business setting, towards a mutual end or mutual uh, goals and, and, and activities. That's really what we're talking about when we talk about uh, leadership is influence. And in my case, I've been leading ever since childhood. I'm the oldest of four children. And I taught my next youngest brother how to get out of the crib and explore the world. So that was maybe one of the first pieces. But really, there's in childhood a whole lot of leadership opportunities, including influencing my parents. I was in uh, a very poor school in the third grade. And when I discovered that I was in this horrible school, because I'd been in a great school before that, I had to influence my parents to send me to a better school. And that required me coming home, talking to them about what the new opportunity would be and having them come up to the school and meet with the teachers and so on and so forth. And I was successful, got to a decent school. And that really changed the the rest of the trajectory of my life, you know, from that point on. And I would also say um, in elementary school, in my church, I took on some leadership roles. I taught vacation bible school for first graders, even when I was still a child myself. I did a, a co-teaching with another adult person. And then I was also the secretary of our Sunday school at for the whole church. You know, I had to mm-hmm. give a speech every week about the, the statistics and data. And I was still in elementary school at that time. And then later, you know, I think maybe around fifth grade or so, I was I ran for student council later for a student council parliamentarian. And then in 10th grade, I was sophomore class president. <laughs> and, you know, 12th grade, I was like editor of the senior yearbook. So I mean, it started in all those great school years with at home, school, church, parents, and then continued on for the rest of my life. I
0: have to say, um, I have had many guests come on and most of them uh, start talking about something like business school. I'm like, well, bring me back to earlier and they'll go to like elementary. But you started so early talking about helping a younger sibling out of their crib. <laughs> and yes. I can see my toddler doing that with my my baby and a couple of years. Oh, um, yes. So it sounds like, uh, well, you had a lot of a, a string of actual, you know, uh, formal titles Um but you also were able to see in an early age the informal ways that you were able to influence and that, you know, like even that conversation you had with your parents, um, what an advocate you were for yourself at a very young age. And most people spend a lifetime trying to figure out how to do that. Um, Were they really helping you sort of foster that sort of within you? Or was it just like you, you arrive in the world really just kind of knowing how to do these things. Like, where does it come from? This you have such a spirit about you, a can-do attitude. Where does that sort of originate? And was there somebody that really saw that in you and helped nurture it, um, guide it? Like how how did that sort of happen with early role models?
1: You know, let me say this. Uh, What my mother would tell you is that she never had to motivate me to do anything. I was one of those children who knew what I wanted to do and was moving forward and planning to do that. And so I was always very self-motivated, always had vision for my life and for what was possible and what could be next. However, what I would share with you is that I really am a good combination of both parents in terms of their abilities and what I saw them do. My mother is was very outgoing, very dynamic, very entrepreneurial in terms of her own mindset. And she determined to go to nursing school uh, as an adult and got that accomplished got that done and started doing the things she wanted to do and she was um, she had some unusual other kinds of careers along the way that at the time women weren't doing such as driving a mail truck and that women weren't really driving mail trucks but she did that so that was unusual and my father came from a very very poor background in a rural area in Virginia and he actually grew up on a slave plantation and his generation was the first one in adulthood to actually be able to leave of that plantation lifestyle. And so he moved to Baltimore and he saw opportunity. He took advantage of the opportunities. He learned from every job that he had. Ultimately, he worked for the Mass Transit Administration and started as a bus driver, but ended up as a transportation executive. Wow. Planning before he left. So I had good models of parents who were persevering. They were hardworking.
0: Yeah. and They
1: were candy people.
0: Yeah, and you definitely got that from them. Um, yeah. So as you continued into the world, did, did you keep seeking formal titles? Were you like also very active when you went on to further schooling or in your first jobs? Like, did did that? Did you enjoy having those roles and therefore and or and or realize? Oh, well, I know how to do this. You know, you, now that you had the skills and the experience, like it felt like something you should be doing.
1: You know, I probably didn't think about it that way. I didn't think about it in terms of, oh, I'm going to do this to get uh, leadership experience. I didn't think about it in terms of titles at all. However, I did think about it in terms of career and what I wanted to do in the end game. And I also thought about it in terms of challenge. I always liked a good academic challenge, so I would always challenge myself that way. And because of the poor school that I went to, I ended up having to take the um, kind of like the third and the fourth grade curriculum all at the same time in the fourth grade. So I proved to myself I could do something difficult if I needed to. So by the time I got to junior high school, I actually signed up to take the seventh and the eighth grade together. And I closed out at the same time. Wow. And then we went to the ninth grade because obviously I'd done that before. I said I could do it again. But really, it was always a vision. So in my case, I knew from the sixth grade that I wanted to be a psychologist. And so all of the gates I went through were really to help me become a psychologist. So I, t- I knew I had to go to college. And it wasn't until later that I learned that I had to get a doctorate and all those other things. So I would just do the next step, you know, whatever was mm-hmm. a part of it.
0: It's amazing that at such a young age, you had such clarity of what you're future um, sort of career would be and actually stuck with it, you know, uh, it's very unusual. I can tell you that in seventh grade, I, I took one of those tests and learned um, there was something called a computer systems analyst. And based on my aptitude, that was going to be a role for me because it involved talking to people, but also using a computer. Uh (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's kind of funny in some weird way. Uh-huh. In some weird way, I am doing that because <laughs> I talk. I talk to lots of people, and I use a computer.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh,
0: but you really nailed it because you then you also uh, ended up in the army at some point. Is was that where was that in your trajectory?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. The army was not in my grand scheme for myself. However, I ended up in the army again, still pursuing the vision for being a psychologist. And that's because I, I had known some people that had gone to Walter Reed for residencies. And they spoke very highly of that hospital, and they said they got great training there. And so I said, wonderful, I'd like to go there. And so as I wrote to the hospital, they wrote back and said, oh, no, you know, in order to, to come to Walter Reed and do what you want to do, you have to be in the Army. I said, oh, forget that. This is post-Vietnam. I'm not trying to be in the Army. And they had... You know, all different people contact me. We have this program. We have that. We have the other. And I just wasn't interested in any of it uh, until finally, and, and this, this, this is kind of an interesting little story, but um, first a, a captain called, and this guy was like one of those hard as nails kind of guys. He had been going to the Middle East when we weren't even talking about that on the news, and he was a drinking, smoking kind of guy and all this, and he talked to me about the Army, and I just didn't see. A connection, you know, it's like, yeah, mm, I'm kind of, you know, not that type, but he was smart. He, he had a lieutenant working for him who was very mild mannered and very religious. And so he set me up with the lieutenant, and I looked at him and he gave me a tour of his home at Fort Evans in Massachusetts and all of this. And I said, if he could be in the army, anybody yeah. could give. <laughs> and there was that connection. So I think I was still on the way to my dream as a psychologist and getting that experience. And what I learned from this captain and lieutenant was that people have to be able to see themselves in the future that they're envisioning. So when I was speaking with the captain, I didn't see me in him. And we were smart enough to know that. And he sent the lieutenant. I was like, okay, I can relate to him. And I think that's still true. You know, in leadership today, people have got to see that they can be there.
0: Absolutely. Really, it's an interesting lesson. Sometimes you think you are the right person, the right messenger. And in the middle of the conversation, the person is not connecting with you rather than just sticking with that script and just trying to like, you know, beat the idea into them in some way metaphorically better to f- send a better messenger who would help them resonate with it and see themselves in that solution to the point where it's almost, it almost became your solution. It almost yeah. became your idea to go and be part of this. Well, I- I said, you know, if everyone in
1: there was like the captain, then I couldn't imagine myself doing it. However, when I saw that lieutenant, I said, well, oh, he's more like me, so I can picture that. And I also think, too, Robbie, sometimes we have experiences in our childhood that we don't know are preparing us. Just as you mentioned that test you took and being on the computer and talking to people. I was in the Girl Scouts, and I was a hardcore Girl Scout. So I was in juniors, and I joined juniors early. It should have been a brownie, but they didn't have a brownie troop, so I went to the junior troop anyway. And I went to cadets, and I had one of those sashes where I had badges all the way up the front, all the way up the
0: back. Wow, and you, know, we did, you were one of those. <laughs> I was one of
1: those, and we did the you know high end, you know outdoor camping and all this. Which I'm not really an outdoor person. I'm a resident indoor person. I'm like a New York person that likes to be at Broadway and the theater and so on. But my mother says later on, when she saw me in the army, said, "You know what? The Girl Scouts really prepared you for all of this." Mm. And in a lot of ways, it's true.
0: That's so interesting. I love that you're able to really pull up on call upon like earlier ideas of, of, of what you went through to then apply it to things later in life. So you you have uh sort of really taken your role and kept uh morphing it into new opportunities for yourself. And lately uh, you have this really interesting thing. You're doing trans leadership inc um yes. is the name of your company. And I want to hear a little bit about that. But the way I want to ask you is that I, I'd love to hear what you find most rewarding about doing this work?
1: Yes. You know, I, okay, as a psychologist, of course, I'm very motivated by seeing life transformations. I'm very motivated by seeing people actually identify and appreciate their unique. Gifts and talents, and then to be able to leverage those out in the world so that they get dynamic organizational results. So, if I can come alongside uh, a leader or that leader's team and help them to see how they're uniquely gifted and appreciate that, and not only just get results inside the organization, but what is their mission? Who are they mm-hmm. trying to serve, and be able to serve those people better? And I can step back and say, when I arrived, they were at point A, and now they're at they're at point X, Y, or Z. For me, that's that's very powerful and extremely
0: rewarding. Yeah. When did you realize that you wanted to go from being like a, a clinical psychologist in the you know? clinical couch kind of sense yeah. to to working with leaders. was there Was that a big shift for you or was it sort of gradual that you started seeing that your training and life experience could really benefit leaders in this way?
1: You know, that takes me back to the Army also, because when I was in the military, particularly I had several assignments, but one of them was at the 1st Infantry Division at Fort Riley, Kansas. And in that assignment, we worked not only with individual soldiers, but we also had to work with uh, their their leadership structures and organizations and look at what were the conditions that the soldiers had to work in, what was facilitating their success, and what were some of the barriers. So as I started looking at that and meeting with some of the leaders and, and paying attention, I said, you know, one day I'd really like to do what I then called a business application ah. of psychology. And I just filed that away because i continued in the army for a while i came out to private practices i did you know work in hospitals and did all the traditional couch kind of work that a, a clinical psychologist might do and private practice all that however about maybe about 30 years ago i really started doing corporate consulting i started with doing corporate training and so i i had sort of my um opportunity through the Center for Creative Leadership. And that that's where I said, I can go there and see if I like this. And then if I like it, then I can transition.
0: That's really smart. Else. So it sounds like you didn't just take one big leap and change your entire business model, but you had a structure, or an institution that you were able to trial this idea out a little bit, this idea that stuck with you for many years. So you actually stepped into it, saw that it was a good fit, and then sort of let that morph how long have you had your own business? How long has, or, or is this a new iteration? Or how how long have you had trans leadership? Is that sort of a?
1: Oh, it's been a while. Trans leadership. it's um, been born
0: a while. In nineteen ninety five.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. So yeah, so we're we're continually growing and um, revamping and so on and so forth. That, for example, taking advantage of more. Um, new solutions like social media and things like that because the internet wasn't even big you know when i started my business it was mostly an offline kind of an approach how we did everything and so we're learning all that at this at this time but it was in 1990 that i went to the center for creative leadership and you know it was not an easy transition because i had been kind of a teacher all of my life in various ways and in different settings and I had to learn that teaching was not mm. the same as training. And I also had learned that teaching under that old-fashioned didactic kind of a model, which I'm wired like that. Mm-hmm. So I can sit for eight hours under just you know that didactic teaching model. And if it's a subject I'm interested in, I'll be passionate about it. And I'm seeing the connections. And I'm already doing stuff with it in my mind. Most people <laughs> are not wired that way. And so the adult learning models and thinking about experiential learning and so on, very different. I had to really learn that. And it was a steep learning curve, actually, for me to do that. So I spent almost five years learning that at the Center for Creative Leadership and then figuring out that what I really liked was consulting Mm. even more than training. So I started my business to do more of the consulting work.
0: How do you differentiate consulting and coaching? It feels like you probably do a little bit of both. Does that? Is there a distinguishing thing for you? I'm just curious.
1: You know, now it depends on who you ask how they will answer that question. So since you're asking me, I'll I'll give you sort of my take on it. I consider myself a consultant. And as a consultant, I have a whole toolkit of tools. And coaching is one of those tools. Other tools might be organizational assessments, individual assessments that we might give different leaders to see what their strengths are, what their development needs are, what issues may need to be addressed. We might do retreats. We might actually do training programs. There's all kinds of things you could do, organization development, change strategies. And I'm mostly involved in working at the organizational level, trying to get some result that Is not just resident in the individual, but affects the business. And so, in that way, I would say I use coaching Mm -hmm. as a strategy or as a tool. And so, I wouldn't refer to myself strictly as a coach, but as a consultant who uses coaching.
0: I really like this. This is a, this is a, I love that distinguishing factor there. Um, I'm curious, you, you talked a little bit about that steep learning curve early on. Were there other challenges you faced as, you sort of took on this as a, as a business model and, and well, you also mentioned social media being in just the whole online world. Like what's the piece of the work that you do that you realize at some point you were like, you know what, this is not my strength. I've yeah. got to find other people because uh-huh. I got to focus on the parts that are mine. You know, what's the stuff that you had to let go of to, to really kind of accelerate your own path?
1: Well, what I had to learn, and this, was, and this is a tough lesson. So, for example, if I was speaking to young people today, I would say, if you're going into business for yourself, not only should you learn your profession, like psychology, in my case, or consulting, you have to learn the business end, and particularly marketing. And I was not trained in marketing when I was in school. That wasn't part of the psychology curriculum at all. It should have been because a lot of people go into private practice or whatever. So over the years, I've had to take a lot of continuing education to understand the marketing and to be able to identify and hire people who can help me take the marketing to the next level. And I have sort of, um, I've had some creativity. I'm a very creative person, so I can use that in, in the area of marketing and think of new ideas. On the technical side, the computer <laughs> interface, the part that you're good at, I'm horrible at that. And so uh, I, I have to bring people alongside to help me with all of the technical part of using the online resources and tools. Uh, if I had to do that myself, I'd
0: probably tear my hair
1: off.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> my <laughs> yeah, no, it's good to know kind of the pieces that are really yours. And if you spend all your time trying to get a website up and like, a Facebook page or whatever, like you, you know, okay. you, your whole business would just fall apart. Cause that's, that's all you right. would do. <laughs> not yeah.
1: Not very good at it either. So thank yeah. you. There are great people out there who I've partnered with and they've done those things for us.
0: Yeah. So um, as you're, you're doing this, it sounds like it's, it's become like, it, this is what you've done. It's like, now you're actually coming up in your 25th anniversary of this particular business, which is remarkable. Uh-huh. Um, and I, and a lot of the people that I speak with, Um, the longest, I think the average length of long is 10 years. And that's because in 2008, there was a crash, Uh you know, like, and then a lot of people lost their jobs and, or happened to leave their job in 2007. (laughs) Um, and then was like, Oh, well then I'm going to do this dream of mine. Um, was there any impetus for you around making a decision in 95 to get started? Was was there something about the timing of that that kind of was like, this is the time to do this? Cause it's being an entrepreneur is like not the lighthearted. And usually people find themselves there, kind of like see an opportunity and seize it, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Let me answer it in a couple different parts. One, prior to joining the Center for Creative Leadership, for example, I had had my own businesses anyway, as far as private practices and so on. And I actually enjoyed that and loved it. So it was actually harder for me to go back into an organization for almost five years and have to function according to the structures that may not have been best for my style in a lot of ways. So when I decided in 95 to go back, to owning my own business and doing my own thing, there was a catalyst. That's <laughs> so, you know. You mentioned, was there an emphasis? It was a catalyst. My husband was still active duty in the Army. And he was stationed in Kansas. And I was in Colorado. And my mother was very, very ill. She had she'd been, she'd been ill for quite a few years. And it was towards the latter years of her life. And I wanted to be able to go to visit my mother every month on the east coast and i wanted to go every month to see my husband in kansas and it was difficult to do that from the position of an employee Mm. and so what i said was if i have my own business and do some things i can structure my life in such a way i can go to the east coast every month visit my husband every month work uh, make and earn the, the the income I want to earn and not miss a beat. And in fact that's exactly what happened. And it was, wow. it was the best of all worlds for me.
0: That's well and it's so smart. You decided up front sort of what success would look like for you. And it was really about the life you wanted to lead. And so you built the life you wanted to lead, and then and you just did it. And in some ways, it sounds so simple. <laughs> it sounds uh, simple, of course, executing
1: that and implementing it. Those are two different things. But, yes. but I'm always led by that future picture and that vision. And, and family is, is really important to me. So anything that doesn't facilitate the family at the highest level, I'm going to be trying to, to reorchestrate mm-hmm. that and, and do it in a different way.
0: So I can imagine that there were times where this was all-consuming in your life, like getting a business off the ground, um, being an entrepreneur. There's no like clock in, clock out. There's no real separation of work and life. Um, you know, you're you're always thinking about things. You know, you're kind of noodling on it. So, how do you know when you're off the clock? Like, is there something you do, a ritual or a habit or a practice to like? give yourself some break, some downtime from being at work? Or do you just sort of see this all sort of being blended and integrated in some way into your life?
1: Yes. I don't see um, really steep, strong demarcations, if you will, between work and non-work. What I love though, is that in this life integration, I have a really nice mix that I enjoy. Like For example, if I'm going to Washington, D.C. to work with a government client or something like that, my family of origin is in Baltimore. And so it's very simple for me to add a few days and go over there and visit them. And so I get to Baltimore, I mean, quite a few times a year, usually no less than four times a year. And this year, I think I've been there almost every month because of things I was doing in the region. Similarly, if there's a friend that I want to, to visit with, I can fit that in. My husband, if he says, let's go to a jazz show up in Denver or wherever, I just put it on my calendar and we just do it. Or if, if it's been a particularly challenging year or I know I'm going to be real busy, I'll say, well, I might need a longer vacation. So there was one year, we took three weeks and we went to Key West and took a longer vacation because we needed that that year. But I try to mix it up. Like I'm going to go to um, Hawaii in July for a client engagement, and I'll take vacation with that. So I'm always mixing it up, doing whatever I want to do. I don't say to myself, "Oh, you can't do this because you know you have to work." No, do both. That's, that's
0: mm-hmm. my motto. Yeah. Well, of course, when you're location independent with your job, you can bring it with you, right. and you have sounds like you have clients really far flung, oh, yeah, uh, geography. Yeah, so the geography kind of keeps you going. Um and I really love this piece cuz you know, this is a show about building great networks and this idea that you're always thinking about how to tack on uh, connecting with people whether it's family or friends when you're traveling cuz you know, that's a great way to make the travel even more enjoyable. Um and and I think a lot of people that I've talked to um you know, in their minds when they're first starting out, success was to be like on the road. Uh, you know, not not being on the road, but being on bigger stages or bigger clients, which requires you to be on the road a lot, and it's a kind of lonely existence. Um, it's a lot of, you know, nameless hotel right. <laughs> hotel rooms um, and a lot of, you know, room service. But if you <laughs> oh, are <I> tacking, <laughs> <it>. <laughs> if you tack on, you know, these connecting points with real people that you know, it sounds like you're also making even that part of the work more enjoyable. Are there any other practices you have that help you nurture the connections, not with your closest family and friends, but like sort of that next two tiers out, like the people that you, you know, you meet at a conference, like we met at a conference. How do you stay in touch with people like that, that you don't have work related? Like, you know, you're not, you're not hiring them they are not hiring you, but you're like, Oh, I like them. They were good people. Like what's, what's some way that you nurture those connections?
1: You know, it has to do with uh, some similar interests that may be there, or um, there are ways you can help each other even if you're not clients to each other. So, for example, um, I try to look at where that opportunity is. I'm thinking of uh, a psychology graduate student, and he had come to an APA conference where I was speaking, and he didn't get a chance to hear the speech, but he wanted to hear it, and so we arranged that I would talk to him about it after the fact. And I didn't know how to use Skype. And so he wanted to do this meeting by Skype. So we decided to sort of trade services. He was going to teach me how to use Skype, get an account set up. And then I would teach him all the, the things that had been in that, um, that workshop that, that he missed. We had a great connection. We're still in touch and we stay in touch. But it was, wow. it, was, it was a mutual benefit. We had similar interests. We both were part of the consulting psychology you know division and so on so i try to think about how that might be and even you and i you know meeting at this one conference you're interviewing me and certainly that's going to benefit me that's going to hopefully benefit you as well and then hopefully we will find a way to to remain Mm -hmm. in touch it's hard because i do travel a lot i am on the road Mm -hmm. and i have a very busy consulting um practice and i enjoy being on the road so i have to remember to uh Connect with people. So I think the one thing I would even say to someone else is this, uh, that I wish I had done earlier, and we're starting to do it now. I'm very intentional about making the connections. I have been less intentional about putting them into some structures and some systems and having those automatic reminders. in. Mm. Other. And I would encourage people to do more of that. And
0: that's what I'm starting to do more of. Yeah. So I have two questions for that. One uh, is, do you have any way to know uh, who in your network, uh, I guess, what state people live in or what city? So like if you were coming to Boston, which is where I am, would you know who it is you know in Boston?
1: I do. I have a way (laughs) to... to, um, uh, and and right now it's not overly sophisticated, but mm-hmm. I do have I do have people on spreadsheets, so I, I know yeah. uh, that you're you're in Boston. So yes.
0: That's awesome. And then the other thing is have you heard of something called contactually?
1: You know, I'm not familiar with that one personally. We we have we're just launching something else too, and I'm so sorry. I don't remember the name of it. My assistant mm-hmm. is actually responsible for implementing yeah. it in our in our business, but we're um, just putting in a new contact relationship management system ourselves.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's so important. Us. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, what I like about the Contactually CRM is that you put people in different buckets and then you set a timer for each bucket. So if you want to meet with certain people every you know, two weeks, every four weeks, every quarter, and if you haven't, it, it knows whether you did the email or a phone call. And if you haven't done that, then it pops up on your dashboard for you to consider like what's the action to take. Um, and I have actually found it useful for my weaker connections. The people, ah, yes. I don't forget to talk to my clients, you know, sure. like, right. Um, right. Cause it's like, like it, top it's top present, top. right. It's very present. So it's, it's these, so weaker connections. And so I'm always trying to figure out how do I move someone's from sort of the outer rings of my network and sort of bring them a little bit closer. And a lot of that is on me, like you said, to see like what's the overlap in interests or you know what are the ways I'm able to benefit each other. I love making introductions. I love people introducing me to people. So people who do that sort of step out for me and like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna forget you because you keep offering me connections to people. Exactly. Um, this podcast has been phenomenal for me to like connect with people after meeting them. I I. I really appreciate it as a a way to build my professional network, but also a lot of professional development because I'm learning all the time from people I have on the show um so that I mean it's just it's really interesting that you're thinking deeply about how to sort of layer all of this um is there a practice that you you it sounds like you're trying to get a handle on the CRM part. That's like so your next la- next the next level for you is to be able with a push of a button say I want to know everyone in Philly exactly. and then and, <laughs> and then and reach our, out. Our
1: system can do that as well. It can also give you reminders. It can,
0: That's great. It
1: can um, categorize people by geography and by a whole lot of other indicators as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very we're cool.
1: Moving in that direction.
0: So. Uh, One of the things I I wrote about uh, before was um, networking at conferences, strategically, effectively, and inclusively networking at conferences. And you and I actually met at a conference. And I wanted to actually hear a little bit more about your relationship to that space, because I I got a sense from talking to you that you've been part of that space for quite a while um, and part of sort of Alan Weiss's uh, network for quite a while. How did you first come to meet Alan? Um, and get involved, in and and uh, the programs he's done over the years has just been phenomenal. The one I went to feels like just sort of a little taste of everything he offers. But you know what sort of drew you in, and and what is it you you see in the benefits of being part of that kind of network?
1: You know what attracted me to Alan was his marketing genius, and his speaking ability. And I first heard him. It was on a webinar. Many years ago, I mean, I've been affiliated with him at least 20 years. I don't know how long it's been exactly. I can't remember. But I heard him on this webinar that was sponsored by the Society of Human Resource Managers. And when I heard him and I said, "Ooh, this person has got some interesting ideas. And I think that would be great for what I'm building and for my business. And so I listened. And then they had, they, they promoted him be, being in person as like a pre-convention speaker at uh, Society for Human Resources and Alan will deny that he was ever there because he claims he wasn't, but he was. And I went to it. I went to that in person. And uh, and I listened to him I said, yep, this is what I want to learn. This is the next step in marketing. Remember I mentioned continuing education, always mm-hmm. marketing. So I went up to him and he was offering his you know, mentor program, you know, for entrepreneurs like me. And I said, I'd like to sign up for the mentoring program. And just wrote this, you know, signed on a dotted line. And that's how I got into the community.
0: That's a real investment in yourself at at that time. You were just a few years into your business at that point.
1: Well, you know what, Robbie, Robbie, this is, and this is very important. You mentioned the book that I wrote, which is called Lead Yourself First. One of the primary tenets of that book is to, As you're leading yourself first, that means developing yourself first. So you've got to put in the money, the time for your own continuing education, your own development. I've done it all my life and I continue to do it. I I have a PhD in clinical psychology, but I don't tell myself I've learned everything. It's (laughs) all more to learn, you know? So every year, and I don't just limit it to one conference. I'm always taking something that will benefit me, that will benefit my clients. Because mm-hmm. the more I can learn, the more expertise I can bring to them as well.
0: Absolutely, and and I can imagine that you're you're learning in the in the moment. You're meeting people. It's it's helping build your own uh, network, um, building your influence, your expertise, everything you were talking about earlier. It's it's a it's smart to invest in yourself. And I think a lot of times people. Hesitate to do that, particularly in the beginning. Like uh, my first few years, uh, I left my uh, day job then in 2014 okay. uh, to to pursue speaking, which I'd been I'd been speaking on the side for many years. It's now been okay. a decade, um, but to pursue that as a business and. Every pretty much everything I've earned in the first three or so years went back to programs, networks, yeah. conferences, you know. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm now uh, uh, seeing results from that. And I feel like if I just stayed in my own little space, it would be a very slow growth. Um, uh-huh. and I don't think I would have my own business has shifted and changed and expanded because of the influence of the people around me and what resonated with them. So very important is is that lesson you just said leading yourself first is to like invest in yourself develop your own uh, sense of expertise, belief in yourself I, I worked with a lot of entrepreneurial women who mm-hmm. I think that if it's it's a little bit it's confidence I, it's sort of not quite the right word but there's there's definitely something where like you know they just don't have almost enough ego around what they know. You know, and there's, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. they're exactly. they're brilliant, but they just don't have enough. They don't put that out very well and very often. Yeah. Um, and they really hold themselves back because of that. And I think there's a balance, you know, you want to like let people see your brilliance. And I think that you've been very good at that, mm-hmm. um, shining who you are out into the world and helping your clients do the same thing. Right. I, I think a lot though, uh, in, in within this conversation, I think a lot about diversifying my network. And I, I imagine... That being part of a network like Alan Weiss's has been a way for you to really, in, in the most broad terms ever, think about diversity of your network. Hmm. really expand who you know and who you meet. Is, is that true? Has that been sort of one way to really get outside A clinical psychologist, for instance, you know, and meet people from all across the, the different professions?
1: You know, I'm very intentional, actually, about doing a couple things. As you say, there are some connections I have within the psychology space, the consulting psychology space, uh, the Christian leadership space, for example. Those are all kind of closer in. However, uh, through Alan's organization with um, the Society of Advanced Consultants Act, I've definitely expanded my network. And he has usually an annual meeting in New York that I like to go to if I'm available. It's been hard for me to get there the last couple of years. And I'm doing that in a lot of other settings. So I'm often uh, part of other, let's say, marketing kinds of networks as well, or other places where my clients might be, where I'm meeting diverse people. Even as a child, I was very interested in different cultures and different countries. And I identified uh, as a, you know at an early age that one day I'd like to go to Australia. I looked at the map and said, well, we read about Australia and said, I'd like to see who's over there and learn about that. I've lived in, G- in Germany, I lived in Wiesbaden, and so I worked there and had to the network there. I've worked in places that a lot of people don't work. I've worked in um, Saudi Arabia. I've worked in Bahrain. I've been to Ghana. I've been to Australia and all these kinds of places. And so I'm always appreciating different cultures, different people. I speak um, French. I speak German somewhat, not as well as my French. And I, when I'm visiting places, I like to collect wearable art. So it wouldn't be unusual for you to see me go to work and I could be wearing an Indian sari. You know, because that's how I I like to celebrate all of those different cultures and meet all of those different people, learn about their languages and so on. So, and I have clients all across the globe, even now. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing it in a lot of different spheres.
0: Yeah. What would you say is the importance of having a diverse network? Like, how would you capture that if you were trying to explain to somebody else?
1: Well, the importance is it broadens your perspective and broadens your horizons. And I think sometimes, particularly in the United States, because the United States is so large, sometimes we can forget that there's a bigger world uh, even out there. And to be able to access people who may be from different religious backgrounds, have different cultural practices. And I, I enjoy that. Like, you know, So I think it's, um, it's part of your education. So when I just to give you an example, when I was in Saudi, I was at um, the Saudi, there was one man that I was working with and I had a chance to go and visit him at his home. I had an American male colleague with me and we went to this man's house. I speak French, English, and a little bit of German. Our host spoke English and he spoke German and a little bit of French. My colleague only spoke English. His next-door neighbor who was over there spoke Arabic. Our driver spoke Arabic and English. So the host and I are trying to talk, and we're talking um, predominantly a little bit in English. Then we switch to German, which is his more comfortable language. And then when I got tired, because that's not my most comfortable language, we switch to French, and both of us are translating. So I'm translating to my colleague, he's translating to his neighbor, and we're carrying on this conversation, and we're, we're sitting in what's known as the men's living room. And the the servant in the house, her eyes were wide, she had probably never seen a woman in the men's living room. Wow. And I was the only person who was at this meeting who was allowed to go to the back of the house to meet his wife. And see, to me, this was very enriching. It was an interesting experience, different from what I would experience here on an everyday kind of a basis. So I treasure, you know, those opportunities.
0: Yeah, and you also, also sounds like you make those opportunities happen.
1: Yes, I like you know? to create
0: them as well. Yes, yes, yes. That's awesome. I really, I, I love this perspective, um, and I can only hope that my career brings me to to such far flung places to really experience the world. And I hope I can do that for my own children because I think setting them up uh, for a taste of the travel bug would not be a bad thing. Exactly. You know, get them to sort of consider the rest of the world. So uh, my favorite question is coming up as we wrap this up. Um, if we had the opportunity to reconnect a year from now, and I hope we connect before then, but we're sitting around a year from now and we are toasting all of your accomplishments, what are we going to be celebrating? What are you looking forward to in the next year?
1: Oh, that's a great question. What I'm looking forward to, I'd like to have um, created a larger presence out there. I still think in many ways, we're still a best kept secret. And I'm trying to end that. So, I want to have be able to say to you the numbers of podcasts we've been I've been a guest on I'd like to be able to report uh, guests that I've had on my own podcasts because I do have a podcast as well that I'm launching and that I'm starting right now and to be able to say that we are working in some new areas and some new places and with some new clients a- as a result of the the expanding network you know that we're building you know from the book and from public speaking. I, I'm, a, I'm actually a good speaker and I'd like to do more speaking engagement
0: as well. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I lo- speak all that into existence. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yes. From your lips, right? So where can people find you and follow your work?
1: They can find me on my website, which is www.transleadership.com. They can send me an email at Period. Karen, K-A-R-E-N at transleadership.com. They can also phone me at 719-534-0949, extension 1. And I'll also invite them to visit me on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn as well. I have profiles in, bo- in both of those places. And certainly go to Amazon and get my book, you know. Read yourself first.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we are going to have links uh, to your your. LinkedIn, also your Twitter, your website, and of course, your Amazon uh, page. Uh, right on the show notes, you'll find all the show notes at Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a real pleasure to talk to you.
1: You too, Robbie. It's really a pleasure. And I'm going to add one more little bonus. If your guests call and say that they saw this program, I will also offer them uh, a, a free strategy session
0: a free strategy session just for reaching out and saying you heard this program. That is quite the offer. Thank you so much for mentioning that. If you stick around to the end, you never know what bonus you might hear about. That's why you listen right to the end folks. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Karen. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonate with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 105. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Karen, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another town professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week.